On Sunday nights, we're studying the book of John, and so I invite you to take a copy of God's Word. Look with me, the book of John, fourth book of the New Testament, book of John, chapter 1. Book of John, chapter 1, and we'll begin reading with verse 19. This is called one of the four gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John follows the same pattern, but John takes a different pattern, and so he tells us many different stories about our Lord Jesus Christ, and he tells us the reason he writes this book. He writes this book so that we will know that Jesus is God. It's an evangelistic book. And so as he's writing this, he begins with that uh, phrase, in the beginning was the Word, and, and we talked about that concept, the, how that word, word meant something different to the Jews and it meant something different to the Romans, and yet it applied to both. It, that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the reason. Uh, Jesus is uh, the Son of God. He is, the, he is God. And so he, he brings that out. He talks about uh, last time how Jesus is the light, as Mark said. And then we begin in verse 19, continuing talking about another John, and that is John the Baptist. So there's John the Apostle who wrote this, but now he's writing about John the Baptist. Look at verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered and said, and answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one who you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And the next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Our Father, tonight as we look at this passage, I pray that you'll help us to see it in our eyes. That, Father, it will become alive to us. That, Father, we will understand our purpose as John the Baptist understood his purpose. Father, as we point people to Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, in our society, if you want to know someone, usually what we do, we ask them, well, what do you do? What do you do? What's your career? What's your job? And that's usually how we start the conversation, if we want to know who someone is. Now, in some cultures, they don't do it that way. 
In some cultures, if you want to know who someone is or know something about the person, you will ask them, whose family do you belong to? And then you start talking about your family. You start talking about your father and your grandfather. Or maybe you even talk about your children or spouse. But usually they meant, what family tree are you from? That is a question that many people want to know. Who are you? It's a very, very important question to get to know people. Well, John, the apostle, is going to introduce to us this man named John the Baptist. And he's going to tell us who he is. And it began back in verse 6. We, we saw this a few weeks ago. There came a man from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify about the light. And so we were introduced to this man named John. And now in verse 19, it begins to give us more of a picture of who he is. And so here's what John, the apostle, is going to do. He's going to be talking about John the Baptist. He's going to, first of all, give us his identity. And then he's going to give to us his message. He's going to give to us his identity, and then he gives to us his message. First of all, the identity of John the Baptist. Now, from the other Gospels, we know some things about John the Baptist. For example, we know that he was the son of a priest. Then as an adult, he becomes this uh, wild-haired, logos and honey-eating prophet. He lives out in the desert. He is a sight. He is the person that people just wanted to go see because his message was a message of repentance. So here's a man wearing a, a camel hair coat. He has wild hair, and he's eating the, the food of the desert, and he's talking about repentance, and everyone is talking about him. Who is this person? I mean, he's a sight to behold, and people want to know who he is. And so word got to Jerusalem. Who is this man? And not only that, why is he popular? Remember, the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were jealous of anybody becoming more popular than them. And not only that, during this time, there was this expectation of the Messiah. Many people believed the Messiah was about to come during this time period. And so they were looking forward to that day when the Messiah would appear. Now, during this time, because so many people expected the Messiah to come, they were false prophets. What a surprise. They were con artists. What a surprise. And so you had people coming on the scene saying, I am the Messiah, follow me. And many times they tried to have a revolt against the Romans, and they failed. And so you had to investigate anyone who claimed to be the Messiah, is he really the Messiah, or is he a con artist? Is he really a Messiah, or is, is he a fraud? And so here they heard about this man out in the desert, unlike any other man they've ever heard about, and people were flocking to hear him. And so the Jewish leaders decided, we better investigate. And so they go to investigate John the Baptist. Now what they would do, they would go and they would interview John the Baptist, they would talk to John the Baptist, then they would bring back their result to the Sanhedrin, which was like the Supreme Court of the day. And so they're doing an investigation. And they come to John and they ask him five questions. Now what's interesting is four of the questions were about his identity. Look at the first question. The first question basically is, are you the Messiah? Now, it doesn't say it that way. It says in verse 19, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Okay, that's the question. But John the Baptist knew what the question really was. 
They said, who are you? In verse 20, and he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He knew the question. Are you the Messiah? Throughout the Old Testament, people expected the Messiah to come. There was a prophecy over and over and over how one day God was going to send this great person, this mighty deliverer. This person would represent God in a unique way. This person would bring righteousness. This person would bring deliverance to the people. Now, they assumed it would be like David. They assumed this deliverer would be like a king. And so the idea that one day this Messiah would come, he would bring the people together, and he would conquer the Romans and drive them out. That's what they were thinking about. And so when the religious leaders in Jerusalem heard about John's popularity, they're thinking, well, probably this may be the Messiah. We better check him out. And so they go check him out. Are you the Messiah? You know, I have to admit, this had to be very puzzling to them. John the Baptist, remember, his father was a priest, which meant he was a, from priestly descent, and if he wanted to, he could be part of their crowd. If he wanted to, he could be living in the cities. He could be dressed in the conventional robes. He could be part of the religious establishment. But instead, somewhere in his past, he turned his back on that. And he went into the wilderness and lived in a very unconventional way. There are some scholars who believe he was part of a group called the Essenes. And the Essenes were a group of people who who went out in the desert to live a holy life for God. And maybe he was part of that. There's a lot of similarities. And so here they are going to see John the Baptist, this very unique, unusual man. And they ask the question, are you the Messiah? Who are you? And John, without hesitation, I am not the Messiah. Here's the Apostle John writing this book so that we would know who Jesus really is. And at the very beginning, he wants everyone to know it wasn't John the Baptist. I am not the Christ. John the Baptist quickly, openly confessed, I am not him. In fact, he doesn't even pretend to be so. And again, as I said, there were many people at that time period, they were pretending to be the Messiah, or they were pretending to know the Messiah, or they were pretending to have access to the Messiah. But here's John, and basically he's saying, no, no, I'm not the Messiah. Well, they ask him a second question. Verse 21, what then? Are you Elijah? Elijah was a character in the Old Testament. He was a prophet of God. Elijah was that that incredible man of faith. He was a mountain man, literally. He he lived in in, in the mountains. He came down and he confronted Ahab. It was an incredible story. And the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, there's a prophecy saying that one day Elijah would return before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so here's John the Baptist, and here's Elijah, and there, there are a lot of similarities. John the Baptist looks like a wild man, and, and Elijah was a mountain man. John the Baptist was a prophet, and Elijah was a prophet. 
They, there were a lot of similarities. Elijah had very uh, boldness as he went to the king, confronted the king. John the Baptist was confronting the people, the rulers. He even confronted Roman soldiers with their sins. This t- takes a lot of bravery. And so they're looking and asking, are, are you Elijah? And John responds, no, I'm not. Now, I know what some people are thinking. They say, wait, wait, wait. But Jesus in Matthew and Mark and Luke says that John the Baptist was Elijah. Why would John the Baptist say here he's not? And here's the reason. John's answering the question they're asking. They're asking, are you Elijah? And he's not. In other words, they're asking, are you Elijah come back from the dead? Are you Elijah reincarnated? Are you the person with the soul of Elijah just in another body? And John the Baptist is answering that question. I'm not, a Eli- I'm not Elijah. I- I- I'm-, I'm John. I'm a prophet, but I'm not who you think I am. You think I am literally a person from the Old Testament. Here, I'm not. Now, John the Baptist was like Elijah in a sense. That's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. It says he's a prophet. Luke says John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, but he's not Elijah. So when Jesus was saying that John the Baptist was Elijah, he wasn't saying he was literally Elijah. He was saying he had that, that spirit of a prophet like Elijah. So there's no contradiction here between what John the Baptist said and what Jesus said in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So they ask the next question, third question. Verse 21, are you the prophet? Now, did you notice they didn't say, are you a prophet? They're asking, are you the prophet? Because they were expecting a prophet to come back someday. This is found in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, the, the Bible says, Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So for years, the Jews believed that one day before the Messiah would come, that God would send the prophet. So they were looking for an Elijah, and they were looking for the prophet. Now, the reality was that that's not what Moses meant. And we know that from the book of Acts when we studied Acts on Sunday nights. Because in the book of Acts, it tells us the prophet that he was, Moses was talking about was Jesus. That's who the, Moses was talking about. Jesus is the prophet. They're not somebody else. And so anyway, they asked John, are you the prophet? No, I'm not. So verse 22. And then they said to him, Well, who are you? Who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? And what do you say about yourself? I I can imagine this committee saying, wait a minute, John. You're not the Messiah. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. We got to go back and give a report. Who are you? Who are you to, to be out in the wilderness preaching and baptizing? Who, who are you? And John gives an answer. 
Verse 23. I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. He's quoting Isaiah. He said, I'm a voice. That's all I am. That word is, in the Greek is phone. We obviously get, you know, phone from it. I'm phone. I'm just a voice. I'm, I'm a voice talking about Messiah. John doesn't say I'm a great voice. John, John doesn't say I'm, I'm, I'm an important voice. And he said, no, I'm just a voice. I'm a sound pointing to the Messiah. John didn't say, you know, hey, hey guys, I am the great voice coming to you to tell you about the Messiah. I am the important voice that only God sent me to tell you. I am the exalted voice. No, he said, all I am is a voice. A voice to call attention to the Lord. And what John was talking about in that day Sometimes a king would come to a town, and they didn't have the news, and so they would send someone to tell them. And that was a voice. And that person would go into the town and say, the king is coming to visit. And so they would get ready, everything. Now, they didn't honor the voice. Uh, they didn't give him awards. They, they, didn't, they, they didn't put him on a pedestal. He, why? Because he was a voice. He's just saying the king is coming. And John is saying, that's all I am. I, I, I'm just a simple person. I'm, a, I'm just telling you, I'm a voice. Talking about the coming of the king. I'm not the light. I'm just the witness to the light. Who are you, John? I, I'm a voice. Simple voice. And then he said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Again, that's Isaiah chapter 40. Listen to what it says. Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill may be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And again, Isaiah doesn't say, I mean, John doesn't say, hey, I'm the, I'm the one that Isaiah talked about. No, he said, I'm, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness. Now, there's a little play on words here. John the Baptist was actually out in the wilderness. But John the Baptist is also talking about the wilderness of the barren Jewish religion at this time. They had neglected God. And they were in a wilderness. And John is saying, I, I'm simply a voice. Verse 26, he said, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. I'm simply a voice telling you about someone who's coming, someone that's going to stand. That word stand means to be persistent, never to be moved. What John is saying, I come and I'll leave. I'm on the scene and I'll be gone someday. But the one I'm pointing to, when he comes and he stands, he will never leave. I'm just a voice. In verse 27, it is he who comes after me, the, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He said... Guys, I, I'm just a voice to tell you about someone who's coming. In fact, the, the person that's coming, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. 
Now, you have to understand something. It's hard for us to understand 21st century America. This was the worst job imaginable. In that day, only the lowest of the low slaves would be considered for this duty to bend down and untie the sandals of someone. Because feet are dirty and gross, walking in that desert, walking in that, that, that world. In fact, many times it's been recorded, some slaves refused to do it, and they were killed for it. There's something about, I mean, even today in the Middle East and Far East, there, there's a stigma about, the, about feet and, and shoes is great offense. In some cultures, you, you do not sit cross-legged in the Middle East because if you show the bottom of your, your foot, that's an insult. Remember when Saddam Hussein, a statue came down, everybody took off their shoe and started hitting the statue? We, we missed the significance of that. But what they were saying, this is the ultimate sign of contempt. It was demeaning. It was so demeaning, slaves wouldn't do it. And John is saying, I am not worthy. You can, the, the lowest of the lowest, lowest slave, I'm not even at that point to this person. I'm just a voice. You know, every time they asked John the Baptist who he was, he pointed to Jesus. John the Baptist could have said, hey, I'm sent from God. You better listen to me. He could have said, I'm the son of a priest. You, you better listen to me. But he points to Jesus. If you ever want to know the secret to John the Baptist's boldness, here it is. He based his view on Jesus and not on himself. Whenever we look at ourselves, we don't have boldness. But when we look to Jesus, we'll have boldness. I'm just a voice. Well, they asked another question. Why do you baptize? You know, why, why are you doing this? Verse 25. Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John baptism couldn't take away sin. It was just with water. John the Baptist wasn't being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus can do that. Why was John doing this? And John the Baptist, baptism was very unique. You see, in that culture, if you were Gentile and you wanted to become Jewish, you were baptized. There was a ceremony for that. If you were Jewish and you, you wanted to be cleansed of your sin, sometimes they would self-baptize themselves as symbolic of, of asking God for forgiveness. But no Jewish person ever allowed another Jewish person to baptize them. And here's John the Baptist. That's what he's doing. And John the Baptist is saying, when well, I'm baptizing, it's, it's, a, it's a time of repentance. We're getting our hearts right for the Messiah. We're getting our hearts right for the coming Messiah. Secondly, he said, I'm preparing for the Messiah. I, I, I baptize with water, but when the Messiah comes, he's going to baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. And Old Testament prophets used to uh, perform symbolic acts to make it more vivid. That's what John the Baptist was doing. I am showing you what you need to do to get ready for the Messiah. I'm not building a following of my own. I'm getting ready for the Messiah. So what was John the Baptist's message? His identity. But what's his message? Well, look at verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
John the Baptist sees Jesus. And he calls him, there he is, the Lamb of God. Now, this happens a few days before Passover. And here's John pointing to Jesus. There he is, the Lamb of God. And the people understood that concept. They've really not been told that way before, but they knew what he meant. Here's John the Baptist. He's pointing to Jesus and says, there's the Lamb that will provide the sacrifice. Remember, John was the son of a priest, and he understood the importance of a lamb sacrifice. I mean, you had the, the lamb sacrifice at Passover, but you also had the lamb sacrifice every morning and every evening. His father would be doing that. And John is looking at the Isaiah passage in, in chapter 53 of the suffering s- servant. He's looking at that passage in 53 of Isaiah talking about the sacrificial system. And you go back and look at the Old Testament, you see this theme running throughout the Old Testament so that we can understand Jesus. Go back and look at the history of the Lamb. Remember the story of Abraham? God said, I, you know, I, I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to sacrifice your son. son. And Abraham didn't understand, so he has a heavy heart, and he, he's climbing the mountain. The son says, where's the sacrifice? He said, God will provide. God will provide. And then they the, had the, the story the, at the uh, Passover and the, when the children of Israel were held captive in Egypt hundreds of years later. And God was going to send the death angel. And they had to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood on, on the doorpost. And the death angel would see the blood and it would pass over. They understood this idea of a sacrifice. And all through the Old Testament, you had these bits and pieces of a sacrifice And in Isaiah 53, it says, someday someone is going to come, and by his stripes you will be healed. His iniquity is put on all of us like a lamb before the shears. He will be dumb and did not open his mouth. And here's John the Baptist. He sees Jesus and said, there he is. There's the lamb. The lamb provides the sacrifice. But John says it strongly. He says, there is the Lamb of God, not a Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That word, take away, in the Greek language, a very precise word, is arion, means to take something, pick it up, and move it to destroy it. It's not just moving it from one place to another. The idea is you pick up something and move it to get rid of it. He says, there is the Lamb of God who's going to take away your sin. He's going to take our sins and move it somewhere else, and he is going to destroy it. The book of Psalms talks about that our sin will be as far from the east to the west. You know how far that is? You go east, you never go west. You go east, you'll never go west. Now, if you go north, eventually you go south. But if you go east, you'll never go west. They didn't know the world was round. It's amazing they had that analogy. He said, there's the Lamb of God. He's going to take away our sin. He's going to take our sins, put it somewhere else, and destroy it. Not only that, he said, this is the Lamb that's going to take away the sin, that word is singular, singular, armaton. The word is not plural. In other words, this is what John is saying. You see him? That's the Messiah. He's going to take away not only all our sins, the things we've done bad, he's going to take, take away the root problem, the original sin in us. That's how we will be able to stand before our Heavenly Father. So, yes, Jesus died for our sins, all the things we've done wrong, but he's also died for the sin in us. 
John the Baptist says, there's the lamb. The one who takes away the sin of the world. But not only is he the lamb provides a sacrifice, he's the lamb that provides a substitute. He's taken our place. I can almost imagine people getting it. Remember, all their lives they've heard about the lamb. All their lives they heard about the sacrifice. They talk about the Passover. They talk about the, this lamb. And, and now here's John saying, there he is. There's the Messiah. He is going to take away the sins of the world for you. The lamb of God. You see, all these years we've been killing a lamb of God. Every morning we killed a lamb of God. Every evening we killed a lamb of God. At Passover we killed a lamb of God. Oh, but this is the Lamb of God. So everything we've done in the past was getting ready for this moment. What Jesus is going to do is going to be in the, take care of everything in the past and take care of everything in the future. He's the Lamb, our substitute. Now, I know some may be thinking, well, why does he call a lamb? Couldn't it be any kind of sacrifice? No. He has to be the lamb. Do you know why? Lambs do not struggle against their killers. Lambs don't attack. They don't bite. They don't scratch. They don't run away. What they will do, they'll just lie there while you kill them. Many, many years ago, I was talking to a man who was a shepherd he said I had to give it up because there are times we did kill a lamb and we did kill a sheep he said you would cut their throats and many times they would lick the blood off your hands he said I couldn't handle it Jesus was our substitute he voluntarily went to the cross like a lamb he knew what was coming, and he went anyway like a lamb. But this lamb, this lamb also provides satisfaction. But when Jesus died on the cross, that satisfied the demand of justice. Our sin demands justice. We cannot just say, forget about it. If we did that, there's no moral universe. Jesus had to fulfill the punishment of justice. Our God is a loving God, but our God is a just and holy God. And sin has to be punished. And so Jesus went to the cross for you and me, took our sins upon him, and that satisfied the requirement. Jesus, the Lamb of God, offered his life on our behalf, and in so doing, he took the wrath of his heavenly Father upon him. That's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. How much more then, since we have been declared righteous by his blood, will be saved through him from wrath. Jesus' death was satisfying. From the standpoint, our sins had to be paid for. And here's John the Baptist. And he sees Jesus. So there he is. There's the lamb. And then John goes on to say, it was confirmed when he baptized Jesus. 
He says, as he was baptizing Jesus, he said, I saw the dove descending, verse 32, descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him. That word means to to stay put. Here's why that's important. In the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came upon someone, the Holy Spirit could leave somebody. Remember Samson? The Bible said the Spirit came upon Samson, and he did all those incredible things, and then the Spirit left him, or, or Saul, the Spirit came upon Saul, and then the Spirit left him. In the Old Testament, the Spirit come upon people and leave him. But in this vision of John, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and never left. He saw the Spirit of God like a dove resting on him meaning that Jesus had the power of God not just for a moment. He always had the power of God upon him because he's God. He's the Lamb of God. There's a church I've read about in Germany. They have a statue embedded into a wall of a lamb. The story is simple. They had some workmen engaged on building a roof of the building. And one of the men on a scaffold fell, and his companions ran down thinking, well, obviously he died. This was high uh, fall. And when they came around, what had happened, a flock of, uh, of uh, sheep were beneath him. He literally fell on the sheep, and it, they broke his fall. But one lamb was crushed to death. And the whole town was amazed by this. As they looked and saw this lamb, this lamb crushed. And because of that, the man survived. And so the town decided to celebrate the life of a lamb by carving the the statue of a lamb in the stone. As a reminder to everyone, the lamb saved his life by dying in his place. And that's what Jesus did. He died for us in our place so we could have eternal life. Every religion in the world, you can explain every religion in the world by the word do. Do this and live. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Christianity, you can explain Christianity by the word done. It's already been done for us. Jesus died for us. And all we need to do is to accept that gift. Will you do so tonight? Would you stand and bow your heads? Will you give your life tonight? If you've never given your life tonight, will you do so? By saying, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner and I realize I need your justice. But I'm asking for your grace by giving my life to Jesus who died for me. I accept the Lamb of God into my life. Will you do that tonight? For those of you who are online, if you made that decision, if you would just text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call to talk about your decision. But for those of you who are here tonight, as we begin to sing, if you have never given your life to Christ, if there's never been that time that you've asked the Lamb of God into your life, Will you do so? Our Father, we thank you so much for your plan of salvation. You had it from the beginning of time. And all through the Old Testament, you explained what it was going to happen, what it was going to be like. And then one day, Jesus came on the scene. 
the Lamb of God is going to take away the sins of the world. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.